0: Howdy, I'm Paul Isaac Yoder, this is Authors Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Ooh, welcome to Paul's Party Palace! It's the end of August! Well, no, wait, it's the beginning of August, I don't know. And There's another book! It's up for free on the website. What next? So I talk on this podcast about writing a story by finding a charismatic core and building out from there. But the reason we read books and consume other kinds of stories is because that emotional core is wrapped up in narrative. You can't just walk up to somebody and shout happiness at them. I mean, you can shout it at them, but it won't make them happy. Maybe the opposite of that. You won't even change their lives by shouting lasers or Steve. See, the reason we humans like parables and stories is because we have this thing called empathy. In fact, I'd reckon that most of the things you've felt in your life have been a result of empathy rather than solipsistic and personal pain. You've probably cried more at the injuries of others than you have at your own cuts and bruises. Did you know there's this little orphan gnome named Steve? tied up beneath your kitchen. Yeah, he's in charge of eating and drinking all the stuff you pour down the sink. Sometimes the little captive hears the music that pierces through the water in the U-bend of your pipes, and he cries. Of course you don't know that. Gnomes aren't real. They're not orphans. They're not named Steve. They aren't held hostage as garbage disposals. But I bet at least a few of you tasted some, like, leftover ketchup being washed around the drain when you heard that story. I bet a few more think about being a tiny creature trapped in a tiny dark space with nothing but muffled Taylor Swift to keep you company. Now, of course, I could just run into your house and say, hey, sweatshop labor, pretty bad, but that's not effective, actually. It doesn't activate your empathy so much, but You could sympathize with the gnome garbage disposal. You know, if you can do that, maybe you can sympathize with a person. I wrote a story for Flash Fiction Magazine a while back. It was Flash Fiction. And it starts off with some quick scene setting. A woman who draws cartoons at night and works at an industrial era power loom during the day. It begins with the character in a state of shock, remembering who she is, which is one of the girls named Sally at a workshop, and why she's here. Then it ends thusly. She looked down at the loom. The machinery had something stuck in it. A hand. She gasped, but not in pain. She gasped again, relieved. It wasn't her hand. Her hand was attached to her right wrist. It drew things more beautiful than all the Sallies in the world. It drew things that Sally and Sally copied on the loom to be adored by a world above her own. The man yanked her backward. He shouted about the hands stuck between the lines of heddles. He warned her, though the damage was done. Her hand! Her red left hand! But he didn't understand. The hand on her right wrist was hers. Not another soul had privilege to it. But the hand between the still-flying harnesses, the hand consumed by screaming industry? That hand already belonged to the company. See. I could tell you that sweatshops are bad. I could even tell you about the kind of pain one might feel working at one. Instead, I focus on another tragedy, a unique tragedy, that Sally doesn't feel the tragedy that you and I might feel it. Her left hand, she identifies as being the property of her oppressive overseers. In a sickening way, she's almost a little relieved to have lost her left hand. She's almost freed by this terrible accident. No more working at this horrific job for horrific pay. It's that difference, that leap of imagination, that is the magic of storytelling. It's that empathy for something that you've never felt, but you could imagine feeling. Empathy amplifies imagination. With empathy, we're able to concentrate on and think about things we wouldn't otherwise care about, The first Toy Story made us care about dolls, made us care about dolls who only care about being played with. The latest Toy Story made us care about a spork for Krimine's sake. Okay, so let's find a charismatic core and build out from there, but get people involved via empathy. The way we do that is by portraying something people can recognize as human, as relatable. So here's a concept that grabbed my attention lately. Now, I have been researching a cult or religion or whatever you want to call it. And no, I won't tell you which one. And the way the religion was started, I was researching it, and the founder of this religion was so transparently evil and power-hungry that I couldn't help but thinking about it and thinking about it, going further and further down the rabbit hole of research. For the first time, I understood the stereotypical angry atheist who's always trying to pick a fight with anyone who believes differently than they do. I mean, if you found out that one of your loved ones was in a cult that was ruining their lives, wouldn't you do everything you could to get them out? And a lot of those angry atheists escape from a terrible form of religion, which is often just a disguise for powerful people in that religion to con people into doing what the religious elite want them to do. I combine that fervor with my love of mythology. See, I've had this theory for a while, it's not my theory, I owe it to Kierkegaard and many others, that the gods of old have not so much gone away as they have been reformed. I wonder sometimes if a man offering up sacrifices and prayers to Aphrodite was not, in some abstract way, simply adding a small bit of magical thinking to something that you and I do when we seek love, which is to try to prove our devotion to something, to honestly worship that thing with the aim of reaping a reward in exchange for our golden apple. I mean, I do it myself on this podcast. I produce the best content I can and I I scream up at the sky, why, oh podcast gods, will you not allow this podcast and the books to go viral? I mean, I did the best I could. You know, I sacrificed so much. Why? Why aren't my prayers being answered? Oh, podcastia, or podcastius, whatever. And when I wonder that, I wonder if ancient mythology and cultic idols aren't actually a more honest way to live. I mean, think about it. We claim not to worship, but we do. We desire power, but we claim not to worship mighty Zeus and Thor. We desire knowledge, but claim not to worship it through Odin and Thoth. Sometimes we even worship our small-g gods, while pretending to worship Big G God. How dishonest, how barbaric. And this is the same world where The Secret, a book about wanting something really hard, making the universe align itself to your will, flew off the shelves. This is a world where Joel Osteen can tell you by worshiping Jesus that you'll have health and wealth, which is just a roundabout way of serving health and wealth. I mean, he has better fiction sales than I ever will, that's for sure. Anyway, those thoughts swirl around until I land on a pretty basic concept. The gods are real, but they're pretty much just immortal conmen. Thor can't control lightning, but he's been around long enough to learn exactly where it's going to strike, which is similar enough for anyone willing to pay him his lavish offerings. Athena isn't really the goddess of war, but she's gotten so good at recognizing the patterns of conflict that She can pretty much just pretend that the winning side is the one that gave her the most gold. And if one of those gods started running around and ruining the life of someone you love by indoctrinating them into something or other, wouldn't you be mad? Wouldn't you be interested in not just hunting that god down, but hunting down all the gods who abuse their position? Deicide. It's a cool name, right? I mean, it's also the name of a satanic metal band, so maybe I'll come up with something cool. Maybe it'll be like, gods are dead and we have killed them. Ha ha. All right, so the title needs some work and we've got the hook, but let's flush it out. There are three things that make the story feel human, plot, people, and prose. The three Ps. We've got the beginnings of a plot, but let's give it a little Mad Libs outline. Protagonist. Finds out that False God, who tricked Protagonist, parents out of their life savings by posing as a religious leader, is scamming other people in the city. Hunting the False God, Protagonist, accidentally tracks down Different False God, who tries to kill Protagonist. Protagonist is saved by Deuteragonist, who claims to be the famous Deicide. serial killer of false gods plot twist revelation conflict yada 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 i mean i've got all this together by now but i'm not going to spoil it for you yet you know actually let's let's up that tension let's uh let's say this kid was part of like a, a jim jones you know sort of cult where the the false god said hey let's all kill ourselves and this kid somehow made it out alive but their family didn't oh man that's way more dramatic and it makes it believable that the kid would wanna just make the shootings and the the knives at the gods. I know a lot about combat. That's me. Combat Paul. Kinda got a Men in Black thing going. Secret underground war that you and I don't know about but that could possibly exist? I don't know. I'm going to take a few things off the table first. Now that we've finished setting it. First, I'm going to work with the gods that I know most about. And not just the real fake gods. Might get some biblical stuff, some Cthulhu stuff, Norse and Greek gods. Yeah, Those are two pretty similar pantheons and their family dynamics are kind of similar. Might be fun to play with that. Like there's some kind of family feud between the two. Also, the protagonist isn't going to know right off the bat that these... Con men are actually analogous to ancient gods. That's a lot of firsts. Okay. Second, I'm going to nail down the sex of the serial killer as male. There are female serial killers, but very few that go around knifing and gunning people. I'm also going to do something I've refrained from doing until now. I'm going to make the protagonist someone in the modern day outside of my experience. I've written non-white non-male protagonists outside the modern day setting mostly due to the fact that well i'm afraid that i'll mess up and misrepresent and probably do damage with whatever sort of hot takes i put into the character's head so it requires more work it also requires your criticism if you think that anything's sort of cringy or weird that i write whatever this is authors dozen gonna inch my way out of that comfort zone and if the takes are bad i'll just trash the book and i'll know it only took me a month and i know this isn't what the episode is about but the reason i'm addressing it now is because the people part of the equation should be chosen based off of the most interesting character one could reasonably and realistically write i think that one of the reasons i would like to write this character outside of my comfort zone is that it adds a layer of complexity to the empathy That is, it adds an element of racial tension that isn't really present in my other novels and would make the character act differently than he would if he were a white boy who didn't really have to think about the things this character will have to think about. Another reason is that studying about Jim Jones and his whole cult was that part of his uh, pull was racial sensitivity and inclusivity, and a lot of people were attracted to that. And rightfully so. Unfortunately, that goodness was couched in the head of a megalomaniac who uh, didn't actually care about that stuff, didn't actually care about people, just wanted to use the good in order to use people. Because if this kid's parents, you know, off themselves based off of, like, something completely ridiculous, you wouldn't have as much sympathy for them. But... They got drawn in by a good thing, and so did the kid a little bit. And that thing was perverted until it finally ended in tragedy. Now, the way into writing someone who you're not, I mean, you're always writing characters who aren't you, but the way to most comfortably get into the head of someone who is outside of your personal experience is to empathize with and consume their stories and to And most importantly, to be their friends and grow up with them. That's how a lot of male writers get into the heads of females. And how a lot of females get into the heads of males is we grew up together. And uh, my issue is that I grew up in a small town in the Midwest where there was only one kid in my grade who was black. And only quote-unquote black in American parlance. His mom was white. But anyway, he was one of my best friends and he grew up in a way that I understand a little bit and we had a lot of conversations about about life and all kinds of good stuff. And another part of this is that that friend is gone now and one of the reasons why we write is because we want to honor and memorialize the things that we care about. And another good part of that is that it also uh, takes someone from being one-dimensional and having one trait to being a real person that we know and knew. So there you go. All right, so we've got the people and the plot. And that leaves the prose. People and plot are the essence of empathy. However, it's the prose that lets you witness the people in the plot. It's the artwork. It's the representation. It's what lets you believe the people in the plot and feel it as if you were there. Maybe even in the characters' gnome-cobbled shoes, even. Where people and plot should be the most interesting, prose should be the most pointed. Who is this audience that you want to experience the book, and how do you want them to experience it? Those questions are actually so complex, I'm actually going to save them for the next episode, which I've already written, but the episode is already too long, and I want to update you on the progress over the past week. So, lucky me. um, I got done with Ironclad Nocturne, the book that I released in the month of July. Um, Finished that. Released it. It's good. I like it a lot. But what's super good about it is that I finished it early and that gave me some time to plot out this book and to sort of sharpen my axe before I put it to the tree. So what you just heard was me, you know, real time uh, in terms of when I wrote the episode and when I recorded it, um, sort of making up the story. And then in the next episode, I'm going to talk about, you know, what decisions go into how you write the story, how you actually put flesh on the bones of what I came up with plot-wise and as important as it is to sort of pre-plot and -uh, pre-characterize the work it's just as important to prepare for the way you're going to write it and so often I just come up with the structure and sort of flesh it out as I go along but that's actually like a painter picturing in her mind Uh, Oh, this is what I'm going to draw. A tree. Ooh. And really giving no consideration to the style and the paints and the whatevers uh, that she's going to be using. It's foolish. And even though Authors Dozen is all about foolishness, uh, that's not in the area of excellence. We do as good as we can. So, since I have a few extra days, that's what I'm going to come up with and you're like, oh, Paul, it's just words. You know what words are. You know what words you're gonna be using, English ones. Well, you can just shut up, you dummy, because there's so many things you can think about. You can think about uh, in what person you're gonna be telling the story. First, second, third, you can think about uh, whether the narration is gonna be like real close to the character or real far away, like a God's eye view. You can think about the complexity of the language you're going to be using, uh, whether it's accessible to children, or whether it's super complex and sort of scratches that itch. Well guess what? That's, That's a lot of decisions to make. And it's not just like, oh this is my style as an author and this is what I stick to. That's boring. And the plot and subject matter and characters that we came up with, those are all very pointed. Those are supposed to get to somebody, well why can't the language do that? Why can't you choose the thing that is communicating the pointed plots and pointed characters? Why can't you communicate that in very pointed language? Well, you can. That was a rhetorical question. Okay, we're all done with the story now. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Please like, share, subscribe, whatever. I don't know, that's just what people say. All right, it's the ending music. You know what that means. It means it's the ending. Goodbye.